Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Money Answer Show. My guest hour is Ted Zippoy. Uh, he is the Chief Innovation Officer uh, at Scholar.io, which is a way, a new way for people to get scholarships and for institutions to fund those scholarships. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Ted. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation today. Just give us a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sounds good. So I'm originally from a very small town in Minnesota called Kimball. Graduated with around 40 students, so lived that the small town lifestyle. Uh, and then I went to North Dakota State University in Fargo, uh, North Dakota, and studied industrial engineering. Uh, along the way, made a lot of solid connections in different spaces and actually started my career out doing uh, medical device innovation at a company called Boston Scientific. Um, there, I worked really hard with different small teams that uh, maybe had a, a business idea or a new product, helped them scale that up and either become a product within our business or spun out uh, into their own individual companies. So strong background in innovation and entrepreneurship and recently exciting, uh, made the jump into Web3 and cryptocurrency um, in January as a full-time developer at Scholar.io. So let's start with what the problem is with the current system of uh, funding uh, college scholarships. Uh, first of all, let's just start off with how much debt is there out there and how fast is it growing as far as student loan debt? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so right now in the United States, in total, there's around $1.7 trillion uh, in the United States uh, as far as student debt goes. And that grows actually faster than our GDP does. And it's a, a growing problem that impacts, I want to say it's around 40 million Americans. Um, the, the reality is that a lot of these students graduating with debt, it actually leads to them postponing major life events, whether that be um, purchasing a house, starting a family, uh, that overhead debt is kind of a, a ball and chain that really keeps them from fulfilling some of their dreams. And so why is the debt so big? I mean, there, there are billions of dollars in scholarships out there. Uh, why do people have to take on so much debt? Uh, you know, it's definitely a multifaceted problem. The, the cost of college rising has a a number of unique kind of elements that we necessarily aren't solving with ours. But what we'd like to do is focus in on kind of that scholarship ecosystem today. So to look at the current way scholarships are um, developed and issued, we have to look at two things. One, uh, institutional money, which reside in um, what we call endowments. And the other part is the private money. So the majority of the, the challenges and the solutions that we have actually solve some of the, the challenges on the institutional side. So majority of academic institutions, whether that be a four-year university, two-year university, or other styles of learning, uh, have a, an endowment that's responsible per, for providing funding to that, uh, the institution. Um, the issue lies in how that money is managed and how it is spent. So where this money comes from is actually through majority of private donors donating to their alma mater. Maybe it's a school they're passionate about, um, and then supporting those ecosystems. Um, when you make a donation, though, um, if per se you have a particular passion, maybe I want to sponsor women in STEM, maybe it's black engineers, uh, a specific niche, uh, at the end of the day, the endowment actually does not have to follow those wishes. The money comes under their management, uh, and they can spend that money as they deem fit. So while you might have wanted to sponsor scholarships for um, students, it might go towards building athletic facilities, bonuses, etc. Um, so there's a little bit of kind of that mismanagement. The other side actually comes on the performance that these endowments earn. So um, endowments are very traditional, meaning that they hold uh, traditional financial equities, um, whether that be mutual funds or different kind of revenue generating 
um, properties. Uh, and what happens is that those yields are relatively low. The average return on these endowments in the past five years is around 5%, 5.2%. Um, you know, that being said, there are some black sheep like the Ivy League schools that have multi-billion dollar endowments um, tend to have a, a little bit higher returns. But on average, if you look at just kind of all the universities, big and small, it sits around 5%. The other half of that token is the high overhead that a lot of these endowments uh, kind of report. The average overhead fee sits around to be 4%. And so when you make a donation to these endowments, it's realistically growing at around 1% a year. Um, we believe we can do much better using the power of Web3 crypto and what we call decentralized finance. And I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that. Sure, sure. So let's talk about for the average family, how much debt the average family has coming out of college and how does this compare to previous generations? Yeah, so you know, I, I recently graduated, so I really resonate with a lot of this. And um, so the average debt that most Americans hold is around, uh, I want to say that in the $37,000 range. Uh, you know, luckily I graduated with a little bit less, but that's astronomically higher than what it used to cost uh, to attend different universities. And especially if you look at uh, more kind of private institutions that have a higher cost of attendance, uh, that number can be much higher. But right now it sits around $40,000. Now, there has been a lot of talk at the political level about forgiving some or all of that debt. Is that likely to happen, and would that impact the situation significantly? Um, you know, while that may happen and um, it's focused in on the federal debt, there is still a lot of kind of private, um, you know, loans that are out there as well. For our particular niche, where we're focusing in on is the scholarships and endowments. Um, I still think that there will be a high cost of attendance to some of these universities, and there will always be a need for scholarships and especially as higher ed and academia is changing, as the world shifts more towards, at least in kind of the technical aspects, less um, four-year degrees and more so the two-year technical learning degrees and an emergence in what's called certificate-based learning, where maybe you're taking a 24-week a boot camp on a particular skill. Um, we, there's a huge gap in that there's not a lot of solid funding and scholarship mechanisms in those spaces either. So, um, it'll definitely help Amer you know, a lot of people if that student that is forgiven, but I think our particular niche will always be there, especially as uh, academia changes. So what role do scholarships play in the overall funding of education? Is it uh, half the money, a quarter of it? Uh, the scholarships that are out there today, roughly how much of the total educational bill are they covering? It's a great question, and it, it really varies university to university, but I would say that majority of students are actually paying uh, their their tuition out of pocket. So um, I would say it plays a very small role. I don't have exact digits on it, but it's probably something for us to get into our arsenal. Uh, but it, it's a lot smaller than most think, as these, the academic endowments, scholarships are not their number one priority, and hence the kind of the lack of transparency in that space. And another problem, I guess, is people who are donating to endowments don't have any influence or really knowledge of what's going on with once they put the money. It kind of goes into this big black hole. That's exactly it. And uh, in the majority of the donors that we've talked to, it's a, that's the feedback they give where, you know, the, you make your donation, they shake your hand and say, we'll see you next year. Um, of course, there's the, the tax benefits that come with making the donation. But what's really interesting is if you look at the 2020 kind of global giving report, the last reason people report that they give is actually for that tax advantage. Most people want to give because they want to feel closer connected to a social cause or feel like they're making an impact. And so when that, that you know, kind of donation feels very transactional and not very fulfilling, uh, donors are less apt to continue to donate. 
What we do is make that process much more peer-to-peer, where as a donor, you can see directly the students' lives you're impacting and get to know kind of the impact you're making more directly. Does this, by the way, apply to uh, pre-college, to like private uh, secondary schools and things like that? So right now, our initial focus is on uh, traditional universities. That being said, um, we have a lot of flexibility in our platform. So any kind of institutions or academic school, you know, schools we'd like to partner with, uh, it's very simple to, to onboard them. And it honestly, at the end of the day, it comes down to what the donor's preference is. It's all up to them on, you know, do I want to focus on a student pursuing a four-year degree, two-year degree certificate, or it's a good, you know, lens for us to look at is even some of this, this uh, you know, high school level material as well. So good, you know, good question, something we can put on, and we definitely have the flexibility on our platform to facilitate that. So colleges, as you said, are very conservative. They've done things one way for decades. When you approach them to this, are they threatened by it? Or they see the possibility? What has been the reaction when you threaten, when you uh, tell colleges there's a new way to do it? So, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that we're in direct competition with some of the colleges. If anything, uh, we, we actually are a differentiator for them, as we also excuse me, facilitate, uh, we're a digital asset on-ramp. So any donors that want to come to their university and perhaps donate cryptocurrency or other digital assets, we also work with them. Um, at the end of the day, I feel like we were a complement, not a you know competition to it. And more than anything, there's a lot of um, private money out there that's also a big focus of ours. So donors that are already not working through an academic endowment uh, that want to kind of feel closer connected to their cause. So, um, you know, I'd say we'll see as, as that you know, relationship matures. But if anything, we're trying to be a complement and kind of add some alternative funding options to their to their basket. Has this been done around the world and any other places that actually been implemented yet? So we're um, early, and early on in our project, there are a few different platforms that, you know, kind of facilitate, um, you know, cryptocurrency donations, but none that have the um, kind of yield earning mechanisms we do. So we're pretty early. Um, you know, I think we'd like to say we have the first mover advantage and we're also bringing that global perspective. We have a really strong presence in building in uh, Turkey of all places. Um, it's really interesting to see the adoption of cryptocurrency and digital assets there. Uh, and unfortunately, student debt's a problem growing around the world. So while we're focusing on the U.S. first, we definitely have our eyes on global scale. When people think of cryptocurrencies, the first thing they think of is volatility. They don't think of it. It's the exact opposite of what I think of as a conservative endowment putting in money in treasury bonds or something. How do you assure people that uh, they're not going to use cryptocurrencies and not lose all their money? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and majority of the yield earning options that we make available to donors are rooted in what are called stable coins. Stable coins are tied to the U.S. dollar, um, so that volatility is um, very much so um, circumvented or kind of prevented in that way, but yet the yields are much higher because, uh, you know, in centralized finance, there's a lot of overhead fees that happen. In decentralized finance, there's the higher yield that's paid back to the, the people that go in. So, our risk management strategy um, has to do with evaluating their smart contracts, where the yield is actually coming from, and then rooting everything in those stable coins to, so that underlying asset has some uh, you know, stability. So it's not put into Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Ethereum, the kind of cryptos that most people think. No, and that's a, you know, kind of our unique blend there is that um, we're getting, getting people that are kind of maybe crypto adverse or maybe have never been in the space um, adjusted and comfortable with um, low risk assets. You know, that being said, we're not going to be reporting any sort of you know, the crazy gains you hear either. Um, but that being said, they're much better than traditional finance. So what kind of yields can you earn uh, with the strategy you're talking about for an endowment? 
Great question. So um, we have a number of different yield partners with different levels of risk, all of them um, very well managed. Um, with Circle, our institutional partner, the average return is around 6 to 8%, uh, depending on how you set it up. But uh, if you go to some of more of these decentralized options, right now, the biggest one in the space is Anchor Protocol, where you can earn 16.5% on stable coins. Amazing. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io. You can find out more at their website, Scholar.io. And the O is actually not an O. It's considered a zero when you spell it out. So Scholar with an O, with, with a zero, uh, uh, .io. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend $150 billion annually, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest where growth potential is greatest early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already used the platform to invest over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns. And many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 50 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Sotero, which has developed a patented new approach to data protection that eliminates the gaps of traditional methods securing any data asset, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud. Sotero is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Explore Sotero's potential at OURCROW.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io, which is a new system that's going to allow people to get scholarships and allow colleges to fund them in a better way. Welcome back to the show, Ted. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So we talked about how using these stable coins uh, and decentralized finance, uh, endowments would be able to get much higher returns. Instead of 1% to 2%, we're talking as high as 16%. Explain how that works. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, to, to focus in on the how decentralized finance work, the best way to think about it is instead of working through a centralized bank or working through a centralized financial institutions, essentially it's a community of people that come together to offer um, liquidity. So how a bank makes their money, is, especially on some of these loans, is by having that liquidity uh, and essentially using you know savings accounts, et cetera, et cetera, to fund that. So while you may be you know, a high, uh, high yield savings account is 1%, in DeFi by lending liquidity to a protocol, uh, you can earn much higher return. So it's by taking out some of the, the middleman fees and actually having some of these community-driven uh, funding options, that's where these high yields come from. Uh, it's a lack of a middleman, the efficiency of uh, you know, kind of blockchain uh, that drives some of the, that efficiency and that high yield. Is this something available to investors outside of the endowment space where they can get a higher yield on their money through De- DeFi? Absolutely. And uh, I'll be clear that nothing I say here today is uh, financial advice and always be sure to do your own research. Um, but yeah, it's available to everyone. Uh, you know, you have to be kind of in, literate in how to use uh, some of these DeFi tools. So understand the, the core essence of what blockchain is, what makes a, a blockchain safe, what is a good investment, etc. But to focus in, to answer your question more specifically, that's actually our target audience. So we're not necessarily going in and partnering directly with uh, universities to start out or endowments to start. We're actually working and partnering with private donors that want to make their money go further and amplify that using DeFi. So the short answer is yes, and uh, we're really excited for kind of what that means from a democratization standpoint. So from the university's point of view, they would be able to get a much higher rate of return on their donations than they're getting now, up to 16% versus one or two, something like that, and therefore be able to make more scholarships, is that correct? That's the, the end vision, and that's what we, we hope to deliver. Uh, it's also making that, that donation loop much um, more familiar, making that more fulfilling for the donor. So instead of donating to an endowment, um, actually being able to see that money go directly to students and understand how that's impacting their educational trajectory is another thing we like to offer. Um, that's a, the beauty of our, our platform, is that it's actually a two-sided marketplace. Well, for donors, um, you know, their money goes further. They get to custom tailor what students are receiving it. We actually benefit the students, you know, equally as well by providing them quicker access to more scholarships uh, and kind of augmenting that with a- additional content and material that they might not have access to otherwise. All right. So let's explain this from the donor's point of view. So say your system is fully implemented at a particular university. The donor is going to go on to a website 
and see all these different students needing scholarships in different fields, and they're going to pick a specific one and say, I'm buying a certain amount of stablecoin to fund that student. student. Kind of explain how it works from a donor's point of view. Yeah, great. Uh, to, to dive in on that, so as a donor comes onto our platform, they have a couple options. So one, they can start what's called their own donor advised fund or DAF. Uh, this DAF is essentially a, a wallet on the blockchain that they can fund and then connect to different yield protocols. So the way that is funded is actually pretty simple. We have really easy tools that allow them to fund it uh, with any fiat. So that would be a, a wire transfer, bank transfer, or credit card, or a similar process. And then we actually convert that to stable coins on their behalf. Those stable coins then sit within a wallet that they're in total custody and control of. Uh, and then by clicking one button, they can actually choose which protocol they'd like to connect with, whether that be our partner with Ship with Circle, Anchor Protocol, like I mentioned, Pangolin, uh, there's many more coming onto our platform. So it's actually all in the kind of the donor's control to set up the fund, connect it to yield, and start earning. So once it's the, the fund is actually connected and starts earning yield, they can issue scholarships from it. So now this is where that complete flexibility on the donor side comes in. So maybe they want to donate to students at their alma mater. Mine is North Dakota State University, NDSU. They can actually select that as an option. A student must go to this university. Or maybe they're more, uh, you know, kind of, open to students at any university. Maybe they're trying to focus in on another social cause. Like I'd mentioned before, maybe that's women in STEM or black engineers or uh, you know, any niche that they can choose, they can uh, set it up on our site. So tons of flexibility, uh, but we can promise them that they're gonna get a ton of eyes on those scholarships. So right now, our, our Web 2.0 platform called scholarful.com has around 30,000 students on it. That number continues to grow each day. Um, but at the end of the day, we give them a short list of about 10 candidates that we feel meet their criteria. A lot of that is done algorithmically based upon the criteria that the students enter and the, the donors enter. Um, but then they can choose and kind of close the loop saying, this is the student that fits my needs. We actually work with the student's university to get them that money in fiat. Uh, you know, we basically use Circle as our off-ramp for that. And then we actually close the loop with the students by saying, we'd like to you to create a a uh, thank you video to send to your donor. So it's actually way more peer-to-peer -peer as a term we like to use where donors are going to students uh, and kind of evaluating them directly. It kind of reminds me of Save the Children. We have a specific child that you give money to that you can have a connection with as opposed to just giving it to a big institution that's supposedly doing good things. We've definitely pulled some, you know, some inspiration from those and, you know, the ASPCA as well where you can sponsor a particular uh, animal. But yep. it's it's way more fulfilling and more meaningful for these donors. And the, the beauty of blockchain is that they can kind of have that as their trophy self and say, look, look, this is the, the lives we've impacted. Um, so that's one option where a single donor can choose a student. The other option we have is a little bit more like a, I'll say GoFundMe-esque, where maybe there's a, what we call a community fund. Like, uh, you know, maybe that's a, a again, I'm just gonna use a consistent uh, example here, uh, women in STEM. We all wanna sponsor them. We don't necessarily care. Um, you know, what students are receiving it, or they can donate to a community pool. Um, that pool then issues scholarships and uh, goes that way. So that's also a really great option for people that maybe don't have the money to spin up a traditional, um, you know, donor advice fund. Maybe you want to donate $20 instead of $20,000. Um, that's a much better option uh, for, for the, that level of donor. So there is no minimum in, in doing, you don't have to have millions of dollars to, in, to uh, uh, contribute to a school to participate in this? Nope. So, um, you know, we will likely have some minimums around starting what we call that donor advised fund or the one that's, uh, 
you know, kind of your complete control over. Right now, we want to set that around five thousand um, dollars. But to contribute to a community fund and kind of you know team up and make a, an impact, uh, there's really no minimum on that whatsoever. And all the just the uh, contributions they would make would be tax deductible. Is that correct? Correct. And so we actually do have a 501c3 that we can issue those kind of tax documents out of. Hmm. Now, if, if people um, take the standard deduction, they're not going to, it's not going to be deductible because they don't have any deductions, right? It has to be over a certain threshold. Right. And so, you know, that's a, a place where we, you know, we can provide any documentation as needed, but, you know, recommend our donors work with a financial advisor, you know, their traditional methods to figure out what works best for them. How does this lower operating costs compared to the traditional model? It's a great question. And uh, to, to look at that, we actually have a lot lower overhead fees uh, just because it's all protocol driven, meaning that there's not a lot of people behind the scenes and more so kind of algorithmic uh, setting up of this blockchain. Uh, you know, the biggest fees actually come from what's called gas or publishing to it. Um, and so that process is relatively automated. There's not people having to set and up and create these. It's all done on the blockchain. So that's one big piece. The other is that our fee schedule is much lower. Um, right now, like I said, the, the average fee percentage is around 4.5%. Right now, we take a, a small amount when you initially donate to create what's called a wallet on chain. And then we do take 15% of the, the yield that is earned. So it, it's all dependent on how much yield you are earning. And at the end of the day, our mission is that, say you donated $100,000, we want all $100,000 of that to actually go to students. So our fees are only assessed to the yield that may be earned. And is the money only going for tuition or room and board, or can it be used for anything the student wants? So right now it just goes into their student account. So room and board, uh, anything academic related, anything that they have authorization to spend out of their student account is fair game. Um, we're thinking about how we change that as far as sponsoring kind of the next generation of learners, those that are doing certificate-based learning or maybe are at a two-year institution that don't have that. Um, but right now, yeah, that's pretty much fair game to anything that falls under that student account umbrella. People are rethinking education, uh, particularly in light of the pandemic when lots of people were having their college experience from their home bedroom, <laughs> not having the college experience at all, actually. Is that figuring into this as to how people see the kind of education they're looking for and, and doing two-year programs and more concentrated in a specific skill as opposed to having a, a broad liberal arts education. Absolutely. And that's actually a big inspiration for us is that, that shifting narrative and what education actually looks like. So an emerging trend we've seen, of course, is the certificate or uh, kind of two-year based learning, but also um, you know, how that education takes place. So we definitely have our eyes on, you know, what might a metaverse university look like? What are some of the funding mechanisms that are required for that? And how do we offer scholarships to students that are, you know, kind of bold enough to take that leap into Web3 and establish ourselves in that emerging space? So it's really inspired us and we feel like there's a big gap there. Uh, and as the, the world kind of needs more and more in that space, we feel like we can really help accelerate talent that way. My sense is that colleges are feeling threatened by this, that people are saying, well, maybe going to the experience in person isn't as important as people thought in the past. We, people got their education the last two years from home, and maybe going onto a campus is not, not all it's cracked up to be. And certainly the cost for doing that is great. Do you think a, a, a paradigm shift is happening there? I definitely think we do, and I, I think we'll see it shift more so on kind of a, a career basis. So. Some universities or some careers will always require that four-year in-person learning, 
Well, there's more and more in the technical fields that that just simply don't require it. You know, you're better served either doing an apprenticeship or spending time doing certificates where you can go to work quickly uh, and learn more on the job than you ever would in a classroom. So at the end of the day, we're agnostic to, you know, kind of the style of learning, but we want to be flexible and want to be uh, able to serve all of those emerging trends as well. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io. You can find out more at their website, which is Scholar, spelled S-C-H-0-L-O-A-L-A-R.io. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io, which is a new system being installed in various universities to help people get scholarships and also provide donors with some advantages as well. Welcome back to the show, Ted. Thanks for having me. Well, let's again, let's take it from the student's point of view. You say they have a digital identity, and they're going to be able to apply in one click uh, for scholarships. Explain how that works. The best way we like to describe uh, what is our student side is it's like a dating app for scholarships, where instead... Uh, you know, I think back very recently to my days applying to scholarships, maybe they're coming from a university, majority of them are coming from kind of private institutions, private nonprofits, and it takes a really long time to one, search them out, uh, to apply to them, you know, anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes each. On our platform, you fill out your profile once, and this includes kind of your cultural background, your academic goals, uh, etc., and by doing that, you can now apply to scholarships in one click. So scholarships that are posted within our ecosystem 
um, basically are matched algorithmically to saying, you know, maybe I'm a, you know, a person studying engineering, it'll show me engineering related ones or any of those criteria. So it saves a ton of time for our students, makes that process much more simple, straightforward. Uh, and then one part we're excited about is since we're building on the blockchain, uh, we can actually basically do some online credentialing as well. So maybe you're um, engaging in different sorts of the certificates that we've talked about and want to have a good way to track some of that. Uh, you can actually use our platform to do some of that as well. It's very far down on our roadmap. You know, our core use case is delivering on these scholarships, but that is something we're considering. So normally today, when you apply for a scholarship, you have to do something. You write an essay or, you know, you show that you're relevant to that particular scholarship, but it's customized to each scholarship. Is all that thrown out the window? Uh, so we definitely have those options available to donors that want that level. We actually do that as what we call a second round. So instead of having, um, you know, you know, thousands of applicants writing these essays or doing, uh, we've even seen kind of video requirements. We basically do it a first round and narrow it down to the you know a top list of candidates. And if you want any supplementary material, we do have the the mechanisms to do so: videos, essays, et cetera, et cetera. But we try to take a lot of that um, burden away from the donors as well and get them a shortlist just based on a, a criteria level. So we have the flexibility. That being said, we do encourage donors to choose the one-click apply option just to make that process simpler for students, else increase their reach of uh, potential candidates. So the donor in the end does pick the specific student that's going to get the scholarship, is that correct? Yep, and so our job as a protocol is to essentially provide them a short list. Again, a lot of it's done algorithmically, what's the best match just based off of um, criteria, uh, but we deliver them a short list, if you will, where they can actually get to know the candidates. If they want supplemental material, uh, we also have a, a portal to do that as well. And this would be only in the United States or would this be done globally? You could fund somebody in Hong Kong or Guatemala or other places as well? Um, right now, we're focused on the U.S. That's our, our main market. But um, since a lot of our community actually comes from Turkey, as far as our kind of crypto background, we want to make that a global perspective. And so that happens two ways. One, um, you know, working with international universities and actually kind of establishing this in different countries. But another really big ask we've had is that a lot of, call it international students coming to the U.S. have much, much fewer or less access to scholarships than others. So might this be a platform to... Uh, kind of democratize some of that. That's a big ask from our international partners. So it's happening in a few ways, but right now the U.S. is probably our biggest focus uh, and hopefully have some more international presence in 2023. So you say this is all being run by Web 3.0. I guess the web people are used to today is the 2.0 version. What does Web 3.0 bring uh, to allow this to happen that you, you can't do in Web 2.0? The big difference between, we'll say, Web 1, 2, and 3 is a matter of centralization uh, of the data. So Web 1, think back very early uh, days of the Internet, the late 90s, where basically you're a consumer of data. You're finding different places, reading. Um, very rarely would you be contributing. Web 2, or kind of the era we're in now, is that era of centralization. You know, basically the majority of the web traffic is run by these uh, social media giants. Call it the Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, etc., um, and that era is, you know, what gave way to Web3. Web3 is the shift towards decentralizing a lot of that web traffic, um, meaning that instead of working through uh, a centralized program, be that a Facebook, these large things, it's actually working more peer-to-peer. -peer. We call that trustless or kind of the permissionless engagements where you don't have to have, you know, people overseeing a lot of your, your traffic. 
Um, the other part of that, what kind of what gives way to that is blockchain. Blockchain is what we call a common ledger where we're doing these transactions and everyone can see that. It's that single source of truth. It's that kind of common glue that holds us together from a financial standpoint. And that's being adapted many other places as well, um, you know, where it's the ultimate um, you know, kind of responsibility, the ultimate transparency is that everything you do is transacted um, on the blockchain. So there's not a lot of kind of funny business. There's no kind of faux transactions that tend to happen. So they'll be able to trace what money the donor puts in and where the money goes to which particular student at which school much more easily than they do today? Right. And so we're, we're definitely being cognizant of kind of the privacy laws on both the, the donor and student side um, and working on how do you kind of veil the, tra veil the identities but track that money end to end. So it came in, it was yielded using XYZ protocol. Uh, we off-ramped it using this tool and now it's at you know z university so it's that that common ground to of course be cognizant of privacy but at the same time have a higher level of transparency than we do today we've been talking mostly about the uh, scholarships from private money but what about the scholarships being offered by schools themselves for example athletic scholarships or art scholarships or scholarships for a specific reason uh, they might have a scholarship to bring in people into their orchestra or something specific like that would this be uh, used for that as well uh, we're definitely open to those partnerships as so a university wants to use us as a, a tool to expand their outreach. But our initial use case is definitely that private money. And just to add, you know, some color to that, it's not a very small, you know, private money, there's actually a lot to be gone after. Each year there's, you know, billions of dollars that are paid out from that private aspect. And so we feel it's a really great place for us to establish ourselves uh, and really serve those those users first with our eye on the the institutional partnerships later. But eventually, this could be done where the, the school that gives out athletic scholarships, for example, could use the system um, to administrate the whole thing at a, at, with lower expenses and higher returns. That, that would be the ultimate goal, and we'll see if there's any friction in doing so. But yeah, man, that's, a, that's definitely a dream, dream for us. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it, it, the advantages for the students are they're able to do it in a much easier, quicker way. And then they get a response. I mean, how quickly are they going to hear back? This, this goes through all these algorithms. The donors pick them. Is, is the whole process faster as well? Uh, it's certainly much faster from the kind of, on the donor side where they have much fewer applications to sift through, given that we do have that sorting built in. Uh, it's really up to the donor and how long that process will take. Traditionally, we see most donors posting scholarships available for about a month to apply. And we can close and shortlist that in under a week. Um, the the financial off ramp, so we can also execute that in about a week. It just depends on how um, you know closely we can work with the students' university. But in in real reality, it's much much faster, um, especially as we think about making that process much easier for donors. How does this allow for more community engagement when this whole process is is fully implemented? We're excited that um, you know part of our ecosystem is actually a token, and so being a, a token holder gives you a few privileges, or essentially equates your governance in our protocol. One thing that's really unique about our, our system is that we actually have our own endowment that uh, serves as our skin in the game that issues scholarships. So uh, by being a token holder, by engaging with our community, you can actually vote on what scholarships should go to what student out of our kind of protocol side. The other thing is that um, there's much more kind of utility coming down the road as far as, um, you know, what's going to be community governed. So as far as what are we using to scale our own endowment, 
um, community can be able to vote on that. The other part is, as you think about the stories that something like this generates, different students receiving scholarships, um, you know, being able to share that in kind of a social way and have this network of donors saying, hey, come, come donate to my cause or come donate to this cause. And here's a student sharing their story. Um, you know, that's very, very siloed right now and having kind of a common platform to share the stories and successes uh, that social element we're excited about. So are you saying that in the long term, if this is fully implemented, that people would have to take out less and much lower amounts of student loans because they'd be getting more scholarships because the money that's being contributed to endowments is going to get a higher rate of return. And therefore, there'll be a lot more scholarship money available. That's our thesis for sure. And uh, while, you know, that's maybe a bit utopian, uh, it also leaves the door open for us to also take a look at potentially innovating on the student loan side as well. So, you know, maybe the scholarships didn't meet your total requirements financially for university. Um, right now, student loans are riddled with predatory lenders. Uh, and there's a lot of innovation happening in Web3 around how loans are managed and issued. So it's on our roadmap. It's not our priority focus, but we also want to make that an option at some point. And just start bringing transparency and trust into the space where, you know, a lot of students are graduating, not very set up for success. There's been a lot of criticism that the money going from the federal government to student loans has kind of fueled uh, this kind of competition amongst colleges to build bigger buildings, more athletic facilities. It's kind of fueled this whole surge at a time when there may be less need for that because people are working from home and, and you know, the COVID and all that. Is, is that a valid criticism? I think it might be. And, you know, again, I think our protocol is pretty agnostic to, to some of those political or kind of environmental decisions. Um, but I, I definitely think it's a trend that, that we're observing. The other trends, like we had talked about before, that are more intriguing to us uh, is the, the shift away from that four-year narrative and how that's going to open a vacuum or a space to provide, you know, trustworthy funding and scholarships in certificate-based learning, two-year degrees etc. Yeah. Um, okay, so from students' point of view, uh, it'll be easier for them. They'll, they'll end up getting more scholarship money than they get today. You think it's pretty likely? I think it's very likely. Just, you know, from a statistical level, you have access to way more scholarships, uh, and they're more abundant on that side just because of, you know, kind of the financial innovation that happens on our platform. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io, uh, which, as you can hear, is a very innovative way to get more money uh, from scholarships uh, out of endowments into students' hands and allow donors to have much more input into the whole process. You can find out more at their website, Scholar.io. The O in Scholar is actually a zero, not an O. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io, which is a way to help people get more scholarships and donors to have more input into where their money goes. Uh, you can find out more at their website, scholar.io. Welcome back to the show, Ted. Thanks for having me. Part of the system is what you call staking rewards. Explain how staking rewards works. Staking is a mechanism found in Web3 where essentially uh, you lock up your tokens to provide liquidity to an exchange, or in our instance, it would be providing liquidity to our protocol. And you know, return for that, you traditionally see a return on that. So stake your token for... X amount of time and return Y, get X or Y return. Um, what that's really important for us is why um, protocols do this. One, of course, is that liquidity to have that on the exchange. Two is that it's a very strong deflationary pressure uh, in the in the ecosystem. In ours, it's a, a unique. So when you stake your token, um, that's essentially your gateway into our governance. So you can choose what students are receiving the protocol, I mean, receiving scholarships from our endowment. It also enables you to be part of our rewards program. So earning a return on your token. Uh, and one thing we're really excited about is actually on the student side, um, by staking your token, you actually get access to different content and materials. We'd like to call it the, you know, colloquially the, the paywall that pays you. So instead of paying, you know, like in a Netflix style subscription, $9.99 a month, essentially you would stake an equivalent amount of our token, continue to earn those rewards, but also gain access to, uh, you know, exclusive content. Um, it's really strong for us, puts some deflationary pressures in our ecosystem and gets, you know, students that might have never experienced what Web3 is, what staking is, a very easy way, segue into the space for them. Would the existing institutions that are managing endowments, which is hundreds of billions of dollars, traditional money management firms and so on, uh, accept or resist this whole idea you're proposing here? Truthfully, I think we'll, we'll expect to see some friction um, and we'll think about what that, you know, those partnerships might look like in the future. But, uh, you know, building mass, we're not necessarily saying, hey, we're, we're an institution uh, killer. What we want to do is partner with the, the private donors that might be contributing, saying, hey, we have a better alternative for you and start to build critical mass on the donor side and see what a formal partnership with the university might look like from that standpoint. So you're going to be building support from this from the donor community as opposed to from the institutional uh, investors community. That's exactly it. And, you know, who's our target users look very different uh, depending on where they come from. So something we've seen in the, the Web3 space is these, you know, younger folks or even some older folks that have found, you know, un, you know unsurmounted success by being in the Web3 space early and want to get back to their community. Well, we're a really good outlet for them to support, you know, any sort of students that they see in the space with this newfound wealth they have, 
Uh, and then also any you know traditional donors that are very disenchanted with the traditional system were a great uh, alternative break for them. So I think we'll we'll build mass slowly um, for those that are you know embedded in those traditional endowments. But there's been such a shift uh, in kind of you know like we had said the, the paradigm of education that we think we can capitalize on. If people go to your website scholar.io, what what are some of the things they can find out about your system? So right now, uh, our site is a really great place to learn about the, the features and benefits that we will be offering here very shortly. Uh, also a great place to meet our team, get connected with our socials. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, be sure to check in in about a month, and that's when we'll actually have our full site live. This way, uh, this way you can come in, actually, if you're a donor, um, create a, uh, you know, a donor advised fund, create a scholarship, find a community fund. You can actually do all of that end to end very, very shortly here. Uh, and then from the student side, it's a great place to, of course, apply to scholarships and get immersed in our ecosystem. So that's coming soon. Today, it's just a great place to get connected, learn about our project, and stay uh, attuned to our, our very soon upcoming uh, changes. So the donor does not need the cooperation of the college to do this. They can just do it on their own and say a particular college, but it doesn't go through the college as such. Is that correct? Right. So, uh, you know, our engagement with the colleges today is working with their student financial aid office to give a particular student a scholarship, just like, uh, you know, basically any other private scholarship where they work through their student financial aid office. We're following a very similar process. So when you get a scholarship, often that can be held against you, meaning you qualify for less student loans if you're getting scholarship. Does this offset your ability to get loans? Um, it's falls, you know, it's a standard scholarship. So I encourage students to, to consider that if, you know, there's better financial options out there. But uh, you, we definitely fall under, you know, existing scholarship protocol or, you know, regulation. I mean, isn't that the way it works? Is that going to say on your uh, financial aid form, what scholarships are you getting? And then that reduces the amount of loans you can end up getting. Is that isn't that the way it normally works? I can't speak exactly to the, you know, kind of the current state, and I'm assuming there's probably a bit of variance state to state, university to university, um, but I believe that it's more so encompassing of your financial situation and your kind of your household you grew up in more so than any, um, you know, scholarships. And I think the reason is, is that some scholarships are contingent upon performance or sports, like we had said. So, um, you know, it may be a factor, but I don't think it's the primary factor in some of those financial aid decisions. So, okay, so say somebody gets a scholarship. And then, as you say, it may be based on performance. So after the term is over, uh, they need certain grades or certain rewards. What if they don't uh, meet those rewards? Do they lose the scholarship? Right. And so the way our system works, it's actually paid out uh, you know, on a semester basis. And so if there are those kind of continuing credentials, uh, we do have a kind of a checkpoint in place for that. So if their grades weren't good enough, they could potentially lose the scholarship. They wouldn't lose what they got for that term but they wouldn't get it for the next term. Is that the idea? Correct, yep. Uh-huh. So, so let's, let's take this out like 10 years and say this is wildly successful. How do you see the whole landscape changing for the way people uh, both make and receive scholarships? At the end of the day, what we wanna do is have that uh, scholarship process way more peer-to-peer -peer, where donors are feeling like they're um, well-connected to the students' lives, they're changing, where students uh, have access to not only uh, you know, more scholarships, but ones that are higher performing and tied to, you know, causes they care about. The other end goal that we'd love to see is, you know, being instrumental in that change of education. So maybe the four-year university isn't right for you, but making students aware of other opportunities that are out there to have them be successful 
And those that are building those alternative opportunities, like metaverse-style universities, like certificates, that they have a financial uh, solution to bring into their ecosystem as well. So we're happy to be on that journey of, you know, kind of the both traditional education as that continues and the, the future of education. So tell me what metaverse education might look like. It's, we're just at the very beginning of it, but describe how, how you would get an education being in the metaverse on your home computer. There's a lot of innovation happening in that space. What inspires me is, you know, it gives you that opportunity to maybe not just take classes from a single university, uh, but to kind of, you know, handpick what your, your experience might look like. Maybe that's, you know, a best in class, uh, you know, learning from Stanford in one course, and maybe it's NDSU at another. So there's some of that flexibility. But at the end of the day, it's, a, you know, it's that augmented reality where you're um, kind of stepping in, having that digital experience, engaging with content online, um, you know, in a much more meaningful way than Zoom University ever could be. This sounds very threatening to traditional colleges. That they, they're trying to trap you on their campus and have it all go through them as opposed to shopping around for the best course anywhere. It, it's, it's innovative, but it sounds very threatening to existing systems. And I, you know, I don't think, you know, while we're not necessarily pressuring or, or threatening, we're just kind of being a conduit for those that are, um, I think that we'll actually see a lot of these traditional universities, if Metaverse University becomes a thing, uh, establish themselves that way as well. I mean, they already have all of the inroads to generating content, managing a university. So that transition to, uh, you know, the Metaverse, I, I likely see a lot of them taking that. You know, I, I don't think that you know, the powerhouses of the Ivy League or Stanford or anything like that, they'll never lose their, their credence, um, but how they deliver might change. So the two minutes we have left, why don't we kind of sum up the difference you think this could make in the whole way uh, education is financed? I think that Scholar provides a, a solution for students to easily find more scholarships, to likely take on less debt uh, as they graduate by having access to, to more scholarships and having them in an equitable way. And more than anything, I feel like we're really closing the loop for donors that want to feel closer connected to a social cause and closer connected to the lives that they're changing. Um, we'll see what the, the rest of the ecosystem looks like in you know, those inroads we've talked about, the future of education uh, and the future of financing from a loan perspective. But all in all, we're trying to bring that level of trans radical transparency and trust and decentralization into a space that certainly needs it. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Ted Zippoy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Scholar.io. They're uh, rolling it out right now. Uh, you can find out more at their website, Scholar.io, with the O being a zero, not an O. Welcome, and thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Ted. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.